Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders. Was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Perfectly Good Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that is going through every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. I am one of your hosts, Jesse Jackson. Joining me, as always, is my sister in all things Hyatt, and just one of my favorite people, Sylvan Groth. The feeling is absolutely mutual, Jesse. I'm so glad to have you as my brother in Hyatt, and uh, yeah, it, Maybe eventually we'll get up to seven siblings. Yes, but, maybe uh, so. Today we have a special guest and I'm very excited. Would you like to introduce? Yes. And when I do Set Lessing Bruce, I often have guests from around the world and always say in a very timey-wamey fashion, it's my morning, it's their afternoon. But in this one, it is our evening, Michael's morning. Michael Warrow, welcome to Perfectly Good Podcast. And we are thrilled you're joining us from where again? I'm calling from Singapore today. Yes, we did not have that on the bingo card, but I'm very happy. (laughs) It is very early there for you. So I appreciate you getting up a little bit early to visit about John. Absolutely. Looking forward to it so much. Thanks very much, guys. Yeah, and Thank I, you. I we will ra- Michael raised the bar. He sent us in advance, hey, here are parts of the song I want to discuss, and can we pull these clips? And I'm like, oh, yeah, we can do that. So this will be a little bit of a different episode. I think we'll I think it's going to be a fun one. But before we get into our song and just the facts and our breakdown, we got to get your John Hyatt origin story. So, Michael, tell us a little about yourself and how you discovered our man. Absolutely. Yes. It's the year is 1991. I was I was actually working in Vietnam at that time in Saigon. And I went back to my hometown of Vancouver for summer vacation. And I had a friend I wanted to see a gig. I didn't really know the scene. I had been overseas for quite a number of years. And I asked a friend of mine who was a little bit like the Jack Black character in High Fidelity, encyclopedic (laughs) knowledge of music and not afraid to tell you his opinion either, that sort of person. And I said, what's in town? What's happening? And he said, Hyatt, go see Hyatt. It'd be fantastic to see. I didn't really know him. And I went along with my, my girlfriend at the time, and the girlfriend didn't last very long, but the relationship with John Hyatt has carried on for 30, 30 odd years from then. So yeah, so that's that. That's the back door. I saw him at a gig in Vancouver in nineteen ninety one, and carried on from there. And you went in cold with no hearing any of his songs before. Pretty close. Do you remember? As I recall, yeah, I think so. I think I do remember the fanaticism of the crowd. They all seem to seem <laughs> to know all these songs, which I was completely unfamiliar. with. So it was quite a cool experience. And of course, and then started with the trilogy, et cetera, et cetera, and went from there. Yeah. So, Michael, I ask this often on the other podcasts, but can you articulate what about his music spoke to you and why you went from I've never heard of this guy to, oh, my goodness, let me get up at 7 a.m. in Singapore to talk about the song? (laughs) Exactly. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No, I've always been into the singer songwriter sort of space. This is my center, my core of what I like. People who can turn a great phrase, who know their way around a harmonic construction of a song, which we're going to be talking about a bit later, and really can articulate a point of view and a narrative within a song. So I have what I call the four Johns in my life who are the four. So I got John Prine, John Fogarty. Uh, John Hyatt and Elton John. They're like the songwriters that I have grown up with a little bit and uh, and really are the core of my musical taste, I would say. I also like the band, another group, uh, of course, a Canadian band that is very popular. But those are the sort of the five core groups of, of my musical existence. Yeah, so, I was going to say, that's a pretty strong four of a kind. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. And I was thinking Michael is going to help us out by talking more about the musical side of things. Where Jesse and I are always asking people who have that background to help us out with more of the technical things since we're focused more on the listener experience and the lyrics. 
But as you were talking, I was thinking we need some kind of sculptor or graphic artist to put up a Mount Rushmore of those four heads. Yeah, I think absolutely. it would be perfect. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I live in Vermont. There are plenty of mountainsides that we could work into that. Not many mountains in Singapore, unfortunately. So yeah. we won't need to get that here. Yeah. So that is great. Thank you. How'd you find the podcast? I can't remember, actually, now that I think about it. I think it might have been the Facebook reference okay. i think as i recall but obviously i'm on the oh yes of course i'm on the hyatt facebook page so that's probably came out of there yeah we are thrilled you're here thank you so much this is going to be a lot of fun so sylvan why don't you talk about what song we're discussing that michael picked and give us some facts yes tonight we are talking about cross my fingers which was track number seven on Perfectly Good Guitar. It's the fourth song that we've discussed from that album. So as I was preparing my notes, I realized I should probably be a better archivist and make sure that I know when I have already gone to a particular source or shared a particular fact. But it does not hurt to repeat that this was an A&M record. It was the last studio album for that company that was famous for giving us the trilogy. Cross My Fingers was also released as a two-track CD single and a three-track CD single. It was produced by Matt Wallace, who also played guitar. The band for that album was John Pierce on bass, Brian McCloyd on drums, and Mike Ward on lead guitar. And the release date of the album was September 7th, 1993. I've talked before about how the press just love to talk about how much younger all the musicians that played on that album were from John, which was stretching the truth. And of course they made a big deal over the fact that John was over 40. Oh my, I'd like to think that we've gotten a little bit past that, but I actually pulled up a review and an interview from 1994. It was published in the Boston Phoenix written by Matt Asher. And just talking about that young meets old, I'm going to read a quick little paragraph that'll sum up just the facts of this one. Hyatt also admits that his stepson Rob's affinity for the current wave of alternative guitar-oriented rock helped influence the direction of the new album. Quoting John, I work in a pretty simple area. It's a limited palette, but that's what I love about it. Trying to make something fresh out of that is the name of the game for me, which is why my ears perked up when I heard all these new bands that Rob was listening to. It's just a new twist on an old sound. And to me, that's rock and roll. Singers are singing again. They're not just sucking helium and howling, which I also think is pretty funny, given how he starts perfectly guitar with a nice long howl, the album, not the song. That pretty much sums up just the facts that I gathered today. Just little known fact, sucking, healing, and howling was the second choice for our name of our podcast. Yes. <laughs> All right. So we're going to come back. We're going to find out why Michael picked the song. We're going to go break it down lyric by lyric, note by note. We are a very musical breakdown of Perfectly Good Podcast right after this break. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. 
As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, Looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, (laughs) oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business, and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back. Michael, we throw out the we throw out the net to our Facebook page, the John Hyatt Fan Face page. We throw it out on Twitter and just saying, hey, if you want to join us talking about a song, please do. And you reached out about this song. So why this one? Yeah, this was an interesting one for me. I it, When this came out, I had it on cassette, of course, in those days. And I, I was actually living in Beijing at the time in, in China. So I've lived overseas quite a long time, as you probably can tell. But I was working there and it was a pretty lonely existence. And I used to go to the gym and actually plug this cassette, the perfectly guitar cassette in there. And this was really, I listened to it for, I must say, like three or four months in a row every day, practically. And this song really struck me. Not, not It's not my favorite, even my favorite song on the album, I think. But that bridge, I think, is one of the most fantastic bridges in his canon. And also in any music, I think it's a fantastic bridge. Which I think the bridge is the one that really attracted me to the song. And we'll be talking, of course, a bit about that in, in a few minutes' time. But it was the bridge that really drove me to this song, which I really think is fantastic. Nice. Sylvan, quick thoughts about the song. I have to agree that there is something magical when he hits that section of the song and the bridge that literally takes you to a different place. And I'm glad you said that, Michael. And this was the first album that I bought the day it was released. And I was really excited. And I was 14. I dragged my best friends from high school to see John at the Little Theater in Boston. And it was just, it reminds me of the teenage energy I had then. And I think it's so funny that so much of the press talked about that. And I think there's something about the lyrics too and the energy of the music in this that is that youthfulness and almost you you don't know any better kind of feeling, which is both a positive and a negative, but I don't want to jump ahead of ourselves there. Yeah, I adore this song. This is one of those where 
it's a high number in our rating scale and it's sitting there waiting. And then depending on what goes, it may drop down. So yeah, I was ecstatic that you wanted to talk about it. And so I think what we're going to do in this is an experiment for us. So we're asking for grace. Michael actually sent us in advance the, the sections of the song he wanted to specifically talk about. So we're going to play this. We may not read the lyrics. We may read the lyrics. It depends on our discussion. So we're going to try this different. So we're going to start out with the intro. Michael, talk about this intro. What does it say to you? Absolutely. I think the first thing I want to discuss is the framework, the musical framework I'm trying to introduce these concepts to. I don't want to get into the technical side of things, obviously, but generally the concept. Oh, please do. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm okay. <laughs> the concept really we're talking about here is the musical term tension and resolve. Okay. So tension and resolve is really where a listener derives a great deal of the pleasure that sparks joy in the song when they hear it. And this is how it generally works. The songwriter, the musicians, and the producer will establish a center of the song, like a core of the song. It'll be the key, the tempo, the rhythm, the harmonic arrangements, the structure, that sort of thing. And that's where the song wants to sit. That's where the song wants to be. And then they will add tension by changing those parameters. So they'll change the chords. They'll change the arrangement. They'll change the rhythm. They'll change the tempo. And that basically will unsettle the listener in the musically speaking in their heads. And then they will resolve back to the home of the song. And that's where this, the pleasure from listening to a song comes from in terms of it. So it's Create and establish a center, add tension by changing away from the center and then resolving back to the center. And that's the musically speaking, the term tension and resolve. So what we're talking about in this song intro is he's doing a couple things to establish that center of the song. Okay, so he's starting off with some variations on the chord D, D chord. And basically, that's the key of the song. That's the center of the song. Interesting fact, these are almost the same chords as the introduction of Icy Blue Heart. Which is mm. super weird because you think about how different could those songs be completely yeah, different, absolutely. right? So it just shows you how you can change how the same chords can sound so different when you change them with a different feel, play them with a different tone, play them in a different tempo, to have a different time signature even in this case. So you basically have a completely different approach, but the same chords, basically. So that's quite an interesting fact. But what you're trying to, what he's trying to do with the introduction of that is say, okay, we're in D, the key is D. This is the center of the song. And then the drummer, Brian McLeod, comes in and he plays some really fast 16th note fill, just a really tight fill to come in. And that's basically communicating the tempo of the song. Now, this song is... A, 144, I think it is, BPM, which is beats per minute. Not exactly speed metal, okay? Not exactly the <laughs> fastest you can get, but in terms of the Canon, Hyatt Canon, it's probably on the upper range, basically the top 20% yep. or something like that. So it's a fast-paced song. So he's in that first few, two or three bars, basically saying, here's the key of the song, here's the center musically, harmonically speaking, and here's the pace, here's the tempo that I'm going to be playing this thing at. And basically that's where the listener says, okay, I know where I am now. This is where I'm sitting on. So that's really the purpose of that introduction to set the key and to set the tempo in the brain of the listener. And then he's going to play with that brain a little bit by moving away from those things and trying to establish some variations some dynamics. So that's really what I wanted to cover on that song intro. No, to me, and thank you for that. Now I'm really looking forward to putting this together and hearing the sound and then your thoughts. But to me, this intro makes me sit up. Oh, I'm ready to listen. I am engaged. This is, this is stand attention. And what I mean is it grabs my attention immediately. And I'm like, Oh, I want to know where we're going. Any thoughts on that Sylvan or Michael? I absolutely agree. And uh, I never would have been able to make that connection to Icy Blue Heart. But now that you said it, Michael, I can hear it. And I think there is something very similar in that he is 
trying to grab your attention because he's got an important story to tell. And he, he wants the focus. It's not something that he wants you to drift in and out of the story. He wants you to go on this whole journey with him. All right. The first clip that we're going to play after the introduction is the chorus. So mm-hmm. Sylvan, do you have the lyrics in front of you for verse one? And, yes, I do. Uh, okay. So you want to read them and then let's talk about them a little bit. Sure. Baby, when I put my mind to it, I slip into another gear and I travel in another syncopation when all I want to be is here with you and go into the chorus. Obviously, Michael, you could have given us the whole song, but you said, hey, these are the clips I want to talk. Any reason why you skipped the first verse? Yeah. And harmonically speaking, the four verses are quite similar. There wasn't any variation for me to add comments on that by having all four verses played. That, that was the reason for that. That was okay, the only reason good. for that. Yeah, yeah. Any thoughts on the lyrics? Yeah, it's an interesting one. The, the syncopation term jumps out at me, of course, because that's a musical term. We could talk a little bit about that. I assume it's ironic because there's no syncopation played to that part of the song. <laughs> so, oh, you know, it's, a, it's a straight rocker, right? It's not He's not doing any sort of syncopated patterns here. So either he had a different vision in mind for the song when he wrote it originally and then changed it, or else they changed it in the studio or something. But syncopation is when you play or you emphasize the offbeat of a pattern, right? So you're not playing one, two, three, four, you're playing one and two and three and four and like that sort of feel to it. And he's not doing that here. So I'm guessing that's maybe he changes mind in terms of the arrangement of the song later on but that that's what stuck out at me the syncopation term was is quite a cool one yeah and that was one of the ones that i always considered a gift when i was working on the crossword for my fan magazine because lots of letters and very unique word that i could just throw as speaking of the structure and the to return to just lyrically i love it because it draws your attention to the musical terms and the beat but it also just is about the thought process and we all can fall into these patterns syncopation of thought but sometimes you have to be a little bit more careful and actually be mindful of your thoughts and I think that's important whether you're talking about a romantic relationship or friendship or just getting through your day and fully engaging with a podcast that you very much enjoy, but you can get into a little bit of a groove and perhaps phone it in or musicians talk about phoning in their performances all their time. Yeah. But putting your mind to it, slipping into another gear. I took that as like fully engaged, firing in all cylinders and connecting. So I've been brought to task as we're recording this, this week by a couple of people on Twitter that I shared before we hit record that I just recently discovered a lyric that I had misunderstood my whole adult life from actually since I was a high school senior of Hotel California. And it's that she calls friends, not she calls men. And I heard it as she calls men. So I am not the best. So I never looked up what syncopation meant. I just, I'm rolling with it. And so now that you point this out, I go, baby, when I put my mind to it, I slip into another gear and I travel in another offbeat method when all I want to be here is with you. When you put that, I am offbeat, I am off center. And when all I want to do is to be here with you, I want to be in beat. I want to be in sync. And so it is a... I love the song before, but now when I throw that use of that, the idea that he isn't doing that musically, but he's using that as a way to portray where he's feeling in a musical term is just awesome. Yeah, I actually yeah. have I have an additional point on this one. Sure. Come Home to You, the song you did, I think maybe a couple of times, a couple of episodes yeah. ago, you were questioning why they had that funny heartbeat at the beginning, that strange yeah. introduction. Sure. I think it's because when it comes in and then the drum beat comes in, it is playing a syncopation. It is playing an offbeat ah, sort of feel. Okay. And it is basically for some listeners, for some, for the, it's unsettling. So when you're trying mm-hmm. to establish an unease within a song, as the theme of that song, obviously, Come Home to You would imply, right? 
you're trying to sometimes create something that's off kilter, off the beat, off the normal pattern. And I think that's probably why they chose that little heartbeat at the beginning, just to say to listener, this isn't quite right. There's something strange going on with this one. And that would be my guess of what you were talking to your previous guest about why they had done that. That would be my guess in the studio. They said, let's do something a bit off kilter at the start, a little syncopation here, just to try and get things a little unsettled in the listener's brain. That would be my thought there. All right. So we go into the chorus. Here we go. We'll be back in just a few seconds. Every time I hear this chorus, I am back to being a little kid, cross my fingers, hope to die. Talk to me about the chorus, Michael, and then I'll blab all about of how much I love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the tension coming here is through repetition, the term repetition. So basically, I'll be true. I'll be good. I'll be true. Cross your fingers, cross your fingers. That's how you build sort of the tension by adding the repetitive components to it. Now, I think I think Tom Petty said he's never written a song where the song the title of the song isn't in the chorus and that's one of the techniques that some songwriters use to emphasize the song and here we're saying cross your fingers maybe four times during the whole song so it's quite a lot of repetition the other thing you probably flag in most choruses, not all, but most choruses, is you add instrumentation. You add, you make it bigger than the verses. So here we've got backing vocals coming in. It's a little louder, a little more packed in in terms of instrumentation. So when you have the change back to the next verse, you'll hear a drop in terms of the instrumentation. And so it's a much more dynamic sort of feel to the song. If you play a song all the way through with the same instruments, it gets pretty dull pretty quickly, right? So and you're adding in instrumentation, you're putting in repetition so people remember what that is, but you add tension by having the repeating concept going through there, and then you resolve it back to the main theme of the song. So that's what's going on in the chorus, musically speaking. Sylvan? I don't really have much to add. It is an interesting phrase to play with because cross my fingers could be hoping for luck. It could be when you say you tell a lie, but I had my fingers crossed so it doesn't count. I wasn't actually doing anything bad. I have often listened to this song taking either meaning that he's hoping for the best or he's just being dishonest for the sake of it. And, uh, and that I'll be true and I'll be good, but then he's taking it back is interesting because it on the surface is yet another classic Hyatt love song where he's claiming that this person that he's talking to means a lot to him. So why on earth would he lie, especially about these things? And it's fun and it keeps it interesting each time we come back to a very repetitive chorus and a song that I think you can listen to in a variety of moods, which isn't always the case. When you've had your heart broken, I don't want to listen to have a little faith in me because that just reminds me of what I don't have. But this, it almost works both as a breakup song and as a falling in love song. So I never thought of this as telling a lie. To me, this has always been cross my fingers for luck. I'll be true to you. I hope for the best. Yeah. Yeah. I'll cry. Be good to you. I hope, right. Hoping for that to do. I'll be true to you. Cross my fingers. I'm hoping for the best. I love this chorus. I love the energy of it. I love the joy of it. The, this is a very energetic song. And, and I'm, I often think of, I remember there was a great scene in West wing where Toby was talking to someone about speech writing. And uh, my guess was engaging, empathetic, and entertaining, right? That the illiterate of the saying that, and then you switch something off and, and wonderful, entertaining, empathetic, engaging, and wonderful. The difference makes it doing. So I love this idea that I'll be true to you, cross my fingers. I'll be good to you, cross my fingers. I'll be true to you, cross my fingers. Some of my favorite songs could almost be considered a a prayer, 
or a, a mantra, right? You're saying, may your faith bring us faith. May your hope bring us hope. May your love bring us love. And so I just Thank love Thank you, Springsteen. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we're off to a great start. All right, so we're on verse two. I'm going to play that right now, and then we're going to come back and talk about it. Sure as a snake along the river, sure as a ghost is in the trees, there is a promised love delivers, even though you never promised me. All right, Michael, we're on verse two. And Excellent. John is now <laughs> painting his imagery the way he does, doing symbolism and painting as he talks about imagery. So let's talk a little bit about ghost snakes. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. So musically speaking, this is a pretty straightforward, harmonically structured part of the song. He's basically staying close to D, again, staying in the home, staying close to home with a small rotation, a cyclical chord change to, I think it's an E minor, if I recall. So basically just going through two chords, just changing back and forth. But I think the thing that you will pick out, like I mentioned before, he's dropped down the instrumentation from the chorus. So you're getting that dynamic feel. So the chorus is bigger, louder, more stuff going on and then the, the when he wants to tell the story the narrative part of the song as opposed to the chorus which is the hook obviously you wanted he strips down the instrumentation and then basically plays it a much more straightforward approach it is a four line course sorry verse four line verse which is pretty standard of course in rock so it's the songwriters sometimes call it the tyranny of four in the sense <laughs> that all songs seem to be have to be in four lines or four stand four lines in in the stanza of the verse and that's one way you can actually add tension and by doing three lines or at doing five <laughs> lines he's not doing that here obviously he's sticking to those four lines a standard verse structure but again getting into the i think the most important part of the song of the of this part of the song is the lyrics. That's the core of the song. There's not much going on musically. He's just sticking to the home of D and just rotating around that a little bit. But that's about it. We've got snakes and rivers and ghosts and trees, which reminds me of another song that is on this album, Old Habits Are Hard to Break, when he talks about being inspired by Marshall Chapman's story about tree snakes and grabbing on and not letting go till it starts to thunder, which is a great story, which will be a couple of years from now, probably. And I think it's all images that you can pull a lot of different ways. But for me, that line, there's a promise love delivers, even though you never promised me is the strongest in the song. I love that idea. It's about hope, it's about expectation. It, both of those things can be broken. And I love that he says, you never promised, but there was still a promise made. It, it, it's talking about what one person feels for another is in some ways irrelevant toward what the other person gives back. Yeah, I, no, I was just gonna say, that is the line that stuck with me. There is a promise love delivers, even though you never promised me. In a lot of ways, John writes complicated love stories. A boy meets girl, boy and girl fall in love, boy and girl live happily ever after is not a typical John song whatsoever. I remember, and once again, take a drink. We were talking about often in Bruce Springsteen songs early the woman he is a, his narrative is discussing has children mm -hmm. your kids to bed let's let's i glory days i visit her after she puts her kids to bed he did not write jersey girl but he talked about that drop your kids for your mom right bruce's tend to his female leads have had a history and i think john is a big in this is not always smooth sailing. True love is not smooth sailing. And it is, I think, one of the reasons why we love him so much is that. By the way, I just heard an interview, my new musical obsession, and I'm talking about him way too much, is Jason Isbell. I went and saw him live, and I've just been doing a deep dive on him. In an interview, he said, as a songwriter, I hate a chorus. I don't understand why we need it. We don't want it. It's repetition. I just want to tell the story. He said, but as an 
audience member, I love a freaking chorus. <laughs> I want to hear that repetition. I want to sing that along with it. So as a songwriter, you have to flip back and forth. He says, and I don't know what it is, but us as an audience, we want that. I'll be true to you. Yeah, that yeah. communal, we're singing it together, going feather. So yeah, we go back to any... So Michael, are there differences musically in the choruses as we go back and forth to the verses? Nope. The choruses stay pretty pretty close to home. Okay. Same progression, the same close to the same arrangement. So I, I think we just we can go on to the to the bridge now, I think. All right. Would, so yeah. let me play a little bit of that. Michael, take it away. Favorite part of the song. Absolutely fantastic bridge. When we talk a little bit about what a bridge is supposed to do with this song, again, it's all about the dynamics, right? The bridge is supposed to provide a variation on the verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus approach by providing something harmonically different, something different either lyrically or musically speaking. And mainly musically speaking is what you're trying to go for here. So it's really going for that music dynamics of this one. Sylvan, at the beginning, you mentioned that it takes you to a different place with the this bridge, a different location. And the way he's doing that is is a very sound musical basis. He's starting in an A chord, A chord. Mm -hmm. Now the A chord is obviously, is strongly related to the D, which is the key of the song. It's what we call the fifth position of the scale. So basically certain songs, certain chords go well with the key of the song and some do not. The five chord is the one that wants to go back to the home chord the most. So when you hear the five chord, the, the A, you're in your head, you're thinking, okay, I know it, it wants to go back to the D. It wants to go home to the D. So that's how you build up a tension within the bridge by putting an A chord at the beginning and very close to the end and then resolving back to the D, you're getting that, ah, we're home that again. That release, you know, yeah. That, exactly, that release, exactly right. So by putting this song in an A to start with, okay, and putting it in the five position of the scale for the key of D, you're basically producing a lot of unease, a lot of tension within the song saying, this isn't quite right. I don't think this is where the song should be. It's harmonically very sound. It's a great chord to put in with the D scale, but it is not somewhere where the song should be at the end of the day. So that's what the tension you're creating with that sort of song. Okay. I think the last line is the absolute key to the enjoyment of the song. So let's sort of deconstruct that one a little bit. It's uh, to the cold white line down the highway of my head, which fantastic line, <laughs> uh, lyrically speaking, but just talking about the musical structure. What he does here is he cycles between a couple of chords on cold and line. And then when he hits highway, he's going to an A chord. Okay, so he's going to the A chord, which is the one that's unsettling in the D scale, wants to go back to the D. And then he doesn't just go immediately back to the D. He holds the highway in my head and he strings it out for two full bars. Okay, so he's not mm. going immediately back to the D. So, so when you hear that highway in my head, when he goes to the head, he's hitting a D. So that's when he's resolving <laughs> back to it. But he's keeping it strung out a little longer than you would expect in that yes. cycle of songs so that the tension is just rising and rising. And he's, of course, with his vocal performance, he's really articulating at the top of the scale where, you know, really pu pushing out the lyrics and pushing out the vocals. So it's a lot of tension being built and then head, and then he hits the D yes. and then bang, your res resolution is there and the satisfaction is fantastic. So that's what's going on with that song. The other thing I think maybe just listen to, listen out very quickly. Brian McLeod is the drummer. And Brian McLeod is actually a songwriter as well. He's He wrote a lot of the stuff with Sheryl Crow and all that sort of stuff. So he knows his way around harmonically what a song is doing. Just before that D hits, he hits what we call a flam in, in, in drumming terms. A flam is when you hit on the snare drum generally you hit a two notes of the with both hands very close to one another so it's like a grace note and then the main note and when you do that it's loud 
it's super loud compared to the normal one hit strike. So basically what he's forecasting, okay, now we're going to go back to the D. This is where it's going to resolve. Listen for it. He goes bang. And then he goes to the D and then basically, so he's really foretelling or forecasting musically what's going to happen with the song. And then he resolves it and then bang, it's complete release and happiness within the songs in your head. So that's what's going on in that bridge. But as I said, for me, this is one of the best bridges, certainly in, in Hyatt's canon, but in fact, of all songs that I know, I think this is one of the best bridges I've ever heard, frankly. Thoughts, Sylvan? Thank you so much, because that really does explain why it works so well for me, in addition to the lyrics, which I also agree are of the strongest of John's bridges, which is a very tough category to compete well in. Again, it's that irony that he plays with so well, and I love him for. I want to stay till my thoughts are okay. Basically admitting that you have that tension exactly like you were talking about, Michael, that you're feeling something and you need that release. You need to return to the home and safety kind of feeling. Then to my motive is clear because I'm drifting away. He's admitting that it starts within himself, that he is not acting of good intention, motive is clear, but he's also drifting away from his lover, maybe because he knows that he's not good enough for her, or it could be interpreted all sorts of ways, but just to me, I can't listen to these lyrics and not think that the narrator is being 100% honest. He may be being a little bit obtuse, but he is bearing his soul. And I just love that about John. And it has absolutely nothing to do with the song, but literally all day today as I was preparing, I live on a state highway, literally feet away. They were drawing white lines down the middle of the road because they've been repaving. <laughs> so I was like, this is perfect. And yeah, the, who also doesn't just love a song that you can listen to on the highway as you're about ready to like doze off and your brain wants to go into some kind of hypnosis as you're watching that repetitive coming and going of the dotted lines that separate us and are really the only things that keep us safe. Like I, I it's been done before highways and yeah. lines and so forth, but he knows when to use it and it Absolutely. works. So there are a couple of tricks, right? Musicians can do. They can be telling one story with the lyrics and then either enforce that story or fight against that story with the music. Born in the USA. Once again, take a drink. The <laughs> lyrics are very clearly about the criticism. issues, criticism of the state. But the music makes it sound like it's this patriotic anthem. You know, anthem. Right. And that's a deliberate choice of Bruce. I love the fact that he is musically reinforcing at to us subconsciously as a listener. I'm not sure I am searching for my way home. And I think maybe because of this, we just did the couple of home stories, the home songs, right? I, I want to stay till my thoughts are okay, till my motive is clear because I'm drifting away. I, he knows we go back to, I'll be true to you, cross my fingers. I'll be good to you, cross my fingers. I'm hoping I'll be true to you, cross my fingers. I love that in the idea now that we've got this musical you talked about we're doing a journey and we're a little unsettled and his lyrics he's saying he's a little unsettled he knows where he wants to go but he also is human enough to know that he may be struggling to get there yeah no i just on the the second line until my motive is clear until i because i'm drifting away He's on the drifting way. He's doing what we call a little bit of lyric painting. He's actually playing a B minor there, a B minor chord, which is a minor chords tend to be a little bit more melancholy, a little sadder, a little bit more e uneasy. So basically, when you're using the term drifting away, I'm going away. It's a negative 
term. So he's using a B minor to give that sense of maybe it's a little sadder, maybe it's not so happy a situation. Now that's one mm-hmm. way you can actually, as as Jesse mentioned, you you try and match the in this case you're matching the musical background with the content of the lyric or the meaning of the lyric. And that's one example of what you were talking about, how you try and match, and then you can work against that. And not in this song, but if you play a happy song in a minor key, it's unsettling because it's happy, but it's also a sad song. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Speaking. So that's how some musicians and songwriters play with your emotions in this sort of context. And I also, the drifting away brings back to mind drift away. Right. Mm-hmm. Classic rhythm and blues rock and roll song. Right. Give me the beat, boys. I want to drift away. And so it is a certain words bring that vision to it. I'm drifting away. Not. And yeah, I love that. All right. Let's play verse three, four, and then we'll come back. Michael, All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this one back to you guys for a second here. Let me ask you a quiz. What do you think he's doing with the structure of this part of the song that adds tension? What would you say is different in this song compared to the other verses in the song? If you just had to think about it, you can just look at the lyrics and you can probably guess it. So my first answer is okay. Four lines, chorus, four lines, chorus, four lines, chorus. Oh, wait, we're doing more than four lines. You nailed it. Absolutely right. right. He's double the length. What what happened? Okay, (laughs) John, you gave us a, we're bopping along and all of a sudden you're unsettling us. So absolutely nailed the theory there. He's double the length of the verse. He's added three. It's basically three and four together, as it were. So what he's doing here is, of course, the verse is the same progression that we discussed in verse two. But generally, he's saying, okay, I'm kind of after four lines. The listener is saying, I want to I think we're going to go to the chorus now because he's done this twice already. So this is what I'm expecting. Oh, wait a minute. He's sticking around and doing another verse here. So it is unsettling. It is adding tension within the song to do that. Now, the other thing he is adding instrumentation. It's pretty subtle, but on the second or on the basically the verse four, he's adding a slight extra guitar to make it a bit more dynamic. So you're getting a little bit of variation. This is a classic songwriter play. Just add instrumentation or strip instrumentation away. I think you mentioned Bruce Springsteen a couple of times in this podcast. So basically, I was listening to Cadillac Ranch the other day, and of course, Springsteen does this all the time, right? He On one of the verses, he just has the drummer, Max, and the bass player play, and he sings the verse, and then he goes back to the chorus with the full instrumentation. It's that dynamic sense of adding instruments or stripping instruments away that provides a, a little extra tension. But really, the core is here is he's doubling the length of the verse from the tyranny of four to eight verses to eight lines to make it a bit more tense as you roll through that entire verse. Yeah. I think that's really the core component here. And probably we can talk about the lyrics there a bit if you like then. Because you think of Brian Wilson working on pet sounds, all the different sounds and musical instruments and non-musical instruments he threw in that, that made the studio an instrument in itself as they're putting it together. Sylvan thoughts. I wish I could talk theory and instrumentation the way you are. And thank you, Jesse, for doing the team effort of answering the quiz. Yes. <laughs> because, of course, I was seeing it as two verses of four rather than a verse of eight. But just once again, it's beautiful lyrics that evoke emotional images and are not necessarily simple to understand that it does create that tension for you. And I kind of love, we're on this journey going song by song in alphabetical order, which unfortunately keeps us from talking about how John creates albums. And Perfectly Good Guitar is one of those albums that there's so many threads that 
take you through the entire journey that it's almost a shame to pull a song out of because he's talking about icicles on telephone lines and that just brings me back to blue telescope which we've already discussed or just no matter how I try to hold you baby when I hold you tight comes up later in the album I just I love how he can use these phrases that musicians have put into rock songs a million times but it just in his voice both as a poet and as a singer is something completely different and again it's that motion and journey that we're seeing along that this person whether it's actually talking about being on the road, touring as a musician, or just your life. All of a sudden, one day you wake up, you're in your 40s, and how the heck did that happen? Swimming like the dolphins out to sea, slipping away, and the distance of the telephone lines and the disconnection. But it's still, he's talking about loss a lot in these lyrics, but I keep on hearing the song, meaning that we are still connected. And I love that tension that he's creating in those two contrasting ideas that he's still saying, I'll be true and I'll be good, even though you're slipping away and you're walking away. I'm not walking away. One of the things that I think is a beautiful image of if you grew up in a rural area, and I know I'm preaching to the choir with you, Sylvan, is back when everything wasn't cable, there was telephone lines and power line strung and that icy rain would come and you'd see the icicles hanging from that and that could cause you to not have good communication that your phone may be and instead of just saying hey we're missing each other all our tears are icicles hanging from that line and that's crackling static And I swear I only hear you half the time. That is a beautiful imagery. The other thing I get out of it is, and I may be overthinking this, but then when we're walking out among the ocean or swimming like the dolphins out the sea, walking out on the ocean and the beach sometimes can be unsteady. It's hard to walk in sand. (laughs) That's why you'll see athletes train in sand because it's unsteady or go. But you picture a dolphin it is graceful. It is smooth. And so our relationship can be sometimes rocky and unsettling. Then other times it's smooth. And either way, I'm cross my fingers. I'm making this commitment. I'll be true to you. I'll be good to you. Overthinking it, Michael and Sylvan? Absolutely not. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I just, there's uh, no such thing as overthinking absolutely it. Certainly not, not on the perfectly good podcast. Good. All right. Anything else before we get to the outro? Not for me. Good. Okay. All right. So here we go. Michael, bring us home. Yeah, this is quite an interesting little outro. It's a bit ramshackle, isn't it? It doesn't, and I think really what they're trying to communicate with is there's not much going on harmonically speaking or anything like that. They're basically just trying to tell the user, to the listener, this is a rock song, right? This is not something we've cooked up in a studio line by line. It's four or five guys jamming in in a room trying to create a sense that this is a real rock song that we're trying to put across here. So it's not like a pristine LA studio where we actually was recorded but it's they're trying to communicate that the fact that it's a rocker and basically put in a lot of disharmonic off time sort of song guitar parts and distorted notes and then basically have just a little tight fill at the end by the drummer just to bring it on home and to close the book on the song so that that's what's going on there they're just trying to communicate hey we're rocking here we're not doing anything in a pristine sort of manner this is rough and ready and this is what they're trying to communicate with the little outro there of this song which, once again, is not necessarily true. 
I think it depends on the producer, but how yes. they tracked it. Yeah. But I suspect yeah. there's a it's a track by track laying down of yeah. and it's a much more pristine and controlled manner of doing it in the studio than that. But with this impression, is they're trying to give that impression that it is five guys jamming in a room, basically. Yeah. Which is lovely. Yeah, and it reminded me that I did not mention any covers because I did not find any covers, even any amateurs, which is too bad because I would like to hear a stripped down version of the song, a song, a version of the song that might play with different instrumentation or different tempo. It was one that always seemed to bring down the house when he played it live, and it was on set lists well into decades after the album was released. I don't think he played it on the most recent tour, but it was one that for not being a huge radio hit per se, or having a lot of covers, which is another reason he seems to want to build a set list is people might recognize different versions. It really did well. I think moving the momentum of live performance along too. Yeah, I think, yeah, we've got to get our boy Jake to do a version of this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just, this is such a beautiful four-minute joy just in, in this commitment. And now that you guys can, listeners, you can tell me I'm overdoing it, but the Running With Our Eyes Closed, this is a new Music Box documentary that shows Jason Isbell. And there is a scene where him and his wife, Amanda, are debating on a preposition. And afterwards, he looks in the thing and he says, if we're just writing music for people to dance, we're not spending 30 minutes debating a preposition. (laughs) And and it was the I love that idea of the throwing this together musically. Any final thoughts on the song, Michael? Love it. Just love it. For me, the bridge for once is the, is the core, the emotional musical core of the song. But the rest of it is fantastic as well. Sylvan? I love it too. And I agree that the bridge really does. I'm just going to say the bridge did move my star rating for this without giving away. All right. Yeah, I think the bridge and then I love the chorus. I love the commitment. I love how it works musically. I could see why this would be a good song to perform live because Mm -hmm. even if you'd never heard it before, the second time you're hitting that chorus, you're getting it and yeah, you're out right. there singing it and enjoying it. Yeah, it's just absolutely wonderful. Another thing I wanted to talk about, Michael, before we get to ratings is there was J. Michael Stravinsky, who did Babylon 5, one of my other podcasts, we're going through it episode by episode. And he talked about every season he would get the same complaint. You're slow. You're building it up. Why are there so many filler episodes? And he says, you can't be at a 10 all the time in storytelling. You have to give ebbs and flows. And you also have to make, for a TV show, you're getting new viewers. So you need to get them in. And you talking about moving this, the tempo and the thing, right? Yes, I guess you can, you can be a punk artist. You know, that you could be the Ramones that, yes, we're going to come out at 12 and we're going to play at 5,000 miles an engine. We're going to stop. We're going to come back again. But normally you want to do that different levels because that's one of the ways to communicate. Exactly. The musical dynamics is absolutely key. And that's, it's super easy to do. Even if you're like, like my bar band, I play in a bar band here in Singapore. The easiest thing to do is just have one person stop playing, right? Yeah. (laughs) During a verse. (laughs) And then you get a dynamic sense is changing up the entire song. So yeah, that's one way to get a real dynamic sense to change those ebbs and flows, like you said, by just adding instrumentation, removing instrumentation. That's fantastic way to go about doing that. Exactly. All right, Michael. You are our guest, so you get to go first. Rating? Really, I've been dreading this moment, I have to say. I think, am I allowed to use halves of 0.5? Yes. If you want to cheat like Jesse, (laughs) yes, yes, you're allowed. If you want to cheat, yes, yes. Yeah, my temptation is five, but I recognize Sylvan has a very strict code of ratings. So I'm going to slide it back to a 4.5, if that's okay for you guys. That's, that would be my sort of rating. Uh, it speaks to me. It has a personal, I have a personal connection to the song from my time in, in Beijing. And I just love the energy. And, the, and again, that bridge is key to me. So I'm going to go 4.5. Okay. 
Sylvan? I am going to go four. And I started on a three, but I was reminded just how much I love the journey this song takes. And as far as the Sylvan scale and the criteria I use, if someone knew nothing about John Hyatt, would I put this song as an introduction? Absolutely. Does it teach you something about humanity, about yourself, about how you interact with other people? Absolutely. I think what's just missing is that little bit of extra piece that you hear it and you feel like a better person. And I think the best five-star songs from John, one way or another, give you something that you didn't know that you needed. And I think this gives you something that you didn't know you wanted, but it didn't, you not necessarily need. So four stars. Lovely. So I'm going to go with Michael 4.5. I really started to go five. And then I got to thinking a little different way. If I was naming my top John Hyatt songs off the top of my head, would I remember this one? Mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't have. But then when I heard it, mm. oh yeah, I love this song. <laughs> it's a five. So I got to thinking 4.5 since I do believe in cheating that it because of that, it this is something really beautiful and I cannot wait to hear it again. I'm lucky. I'm going to get to edit this together with all the music and I can't wait to share it with you. Michael, before we let you go, I should have asked this earlier. What's your music background? Because you you seem to know your stuff, my friend. Yes, I'm a bit of a fraud. I'm an amateur musician, absolutely an amateur musician. I play in a band here in, in Singapore. Whack Daddy Down is the name of the band. You can find us on, on YouTube. So please uh, look up Whack Daddy Down for our YouTube channel. And I play a little bass in that band and I play a little guitar. And I'm actually in the middle of learning drums, taking my grade for drum exam soon. Just love music. Just love playing it. Totally amateur. Steely Dan was never going to call me up to play on one of their albums. Let's put it that way. But uh, musicianship is a little suspect, but I just love the stuff and I love playing and I, I love listening to music and playing it. Yeah, that's my background on that one. I love that you have joined us. If someone wants to reach you, what's the best way? Are you any social media at all? Yes, Twitter at Waro, W-O-R-O-W, Michael.com, one one word, Waro Michael. And then obviously my band's YouTube channel, Whack Daddy Down on YouTube. You can get me there as well. That's great. I think it might be a hard sell to get us to actually travel to Singapore to see him. But maybe we can arrange a live stream or something. Yes, absolutely wonderful. Any of your bandmates familiar with Hyatt and could the band do a uh, cover? It's not really the part of their core, I suspect, but maybe I can maybe get them to, we can, I can propose, cross my fingers next time in our next. Oh, I would love, I was just going to say, give us <laughs> yes. that cover version that brings it up to the five star for me. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I will include the link to the YouTube channel in the show notes. Sylvan, if someone wants to reach you or to give us feedback, how can they? Best way to give us feedback is to find the Perfectly Good Podcast Facebook page. Join us there and let us know. You can also, of course, rate and review and wherever you're listening to your podcast. We really appreciate that because it helps us a lot. And Perfectly Good PD is the Twitter. I am Sylvan Green Eyes on Twitter and Sylvan Groth on Facebook. And of course, we're all over the John Hyatt. Yes, we are. I am at Jesse Jackson DFW on Twitter. You can hear me talk music on Set Lusting Bruce. Michael, I think I need you to join me there. I need you to have a guest, be a guest spot there. Be great. Yeah, please go to iTunes, rate and review the podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, rate us. We are, it is how we find new listeners and we really be, we appreciate it. Michael, obviously open invite. Anytime you want to spend your morning talking (laughs) John Hyatt music. Very early in the morning. Yes, it is. We would absolutely love you to join us. Uh, And we can actually, we can do later. Of course, you might have to hear your day gigs. We just appreciate your welcome anytime. And guys, listeners, open invite. 
if you have it, we have, we're currently on the C's, but it won't be long. We'll be on the D's. If there's a song coming up that you love, please reach out to us. And there's always a seat at the table for you to share. Yes. Don't be intimidated by the great technical knowledge that Michael brought. You can just be a dummy like me who listens to the lyrics and doesn't know anything about chords and structure and all those kind of things. Yes. All right. Thank you. This was a, a little bit of a longer one, but I think it was so special. Absolutely. Um, thank you so much, Michael. Thank right, you as thank always, you. Sylvan. Thank you listeners for now. Be safe, be kind, have a little faith. Have a little faith. Have a little faith. Baby, we can come on home put the cow horns back on the Cadillac and change the message on the court of What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.